Our second scripture reading is taken from the Gospel of Matthew in the 27th chapter, beginning to read at the 24th verse. Verse 24. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet rope on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Philip, for reading God's word for us so well, and, and Tao as well for reading so well for us, and David for leading us so well. I do see quite a few new visitors. My name is Joel. I'm the associate pastor serving here at One Covenant Church. Now, we are gathered here this evening with Christians from all around the world to commemorate Good Friday. And Good Friday, as David reminded us, commemorates the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ. And this is a momentous event in the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because of what he has accomplished. And so, as we hear from God's word this evening, I pray that all of our hearts will be drawn to this Savior who did everything for us. So let's come before our God now in a time of prayer. Let us pray. O God of highest heaven, we are gathered here this evening to hear from you and to be reminded afresh of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that as we look to the cross, may our hearts be drawn to the crucified Christ. And Father, I pray that you lead us to see just how much you love us, that you love us so much that you give us your only son, Jesus Christ. And so we come before you and may you bless 
our time together and pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. There was a movie that came out in 2016 called Silence. Now, it was directed by Martin Scorsese, and it was based on a novel with the same title written by Shusaku Endo. Now, if you have not watched the movie, then let me just say, spoiler alert, so you have been warned. Now, the main protagonist in the film is a character named Rodriguez, who is a Jesuit priest played by Andrew Garfield. And he went on a journey to Japan with another priest, Garupe, to find out if their mentor, Father Ferreira, had truly apostatized and renounced the faith. And the big struggle that Rodriguez had throughout the movie was the pain of God's silence. And when he reached Japan, Rodriguez was, he struggled with the suffering of the believers there. Now, Rodriguez himself, he suffered and he was imprisoned as he was betrayed by this guy named Kichijiro, the guide who brought them to Japan. But what was more painful for him were the persecutions of other believers and being forced to witness all of his persecutions. In order to end the suffering for others, all he had to do was to apostatize and to step on a fumi-e, which was a bronze cast containing the image of Jesus Christ. Now, this was painful for Rodriguez as he wrestled with this. He prayed and he prayed to God, but the suffering of the people remained. The people were still suffering. And throughout the movie, he was forced to reckon with this one question. Why did God remain silent as his people suffered? Now, friends, as you're sitting here, perhaps you too, you are unsettled by the silence of God. Now, if you're a non-Christian joining us, you know, perhaps you're wondering, you know, if the God of the Bible is real, then why do I see pain? Why do I see suffering all around me? And if you're a Christian, then perhaps you're asking the question, why am I still suffering? And why am I still feeling all of this pain? Now, for many of us, silence is the absence of speech. Silence is the absence of communication. And yet, silence is not just all of that. In fact, silence can be a powerful statement as well. And we find this to be the case with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, as we read the text from Matthew's Gospel, something that you may have noticed very strikingly is the silence of Jesus Christ. That if you notice that Jesus, he doesn't say anything at all in this passage. Now, this was predicted earlier on in the Old Testament. Now, in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, which was read earlier on, and this is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And Jesus is described as a sheep that before its shearers is silent. And so he opened not his mouth. And what we find in Matthew's account is the fulfillment of this silence. And so as we look at this text this evening, we'll seek to understand the work of the silent Savior. And we'll come to understand why Good Friday is actually good, even though it involves the suffering and the death of a person. And so we'll look at this in three parts. Silence in accusation, silence in suffering, and silence in death. Silence in accusation, silence in suffering, and silence in death. 
Now let's begin by looking at verse 24. If you, look, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. And I'll be making references to other parts of the Bible as well. So it would be good to have your Bibles opened in front of you or opened on your phone. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 27, verse 24. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Now, who is Pilate? Now, Pilate was the governor of the Roman province of Judea at that point of time. Now, what's the context behind Pilate's words? Well, in the passage that came before, in verses 15 to 23, we're told that Pilate had to pick. He had to pick between one of two criminals for amnesty. That is, he had to release someone while forgetting their past crimes. Now, this was a custom back then during the Passover festival, and the choice was between a guy named Barabbas and Jesus Christ. Now, Barabbas, he was a criminal. He, according to the other gospel accounts, was an insurrectionist. He sought to overthrow the local authorities, and he was guilty of murder. So this is Barabbas, the criminal. And then we have Jesus, who was accused of being a criminal before the court of law. Now, interestingly enough, Pilate actually saw Jesus as innocent. And this is against the views of the scribes and against the views of the chief priests. In fact, we're told three times in Luke chapter 23 that Pilate was not able to find any guilt in Jesus Himself. So in Luke chapter 23, you find this in verse 4, in verses 14 to 15, and in verse 22. So Pilate examined the evidence and he concluded that Jesus was innocent. And yet, what we find here in Matthew chapter 27 was that the people wanted him dead. And this is the context that led to Pilate's basic pronouncements, pr pronouncement, which is that Jesus was guilty. Now, Pilate clearly doesn't want to be responsible for this sentence and because he thinks it's actually against his better judgment. And so he decided to wash his hands before the crowd. Now, we have an idiom in English, to wash your hands of something, which means refusing to acknowledge one's responsibility of something. And that idiom actually came from this episode with Pilate, to wash his hands of what Jesus, of the sentence of Jesus. And what did Jesus choose to do here? If you look at this, Jesus chose to remain silent. Jesus chose to not speak up before Pilate and the bloodthirsty crowd. And this is not the first time that Jesus chose to remain silent after his arrest. When Jesus was first brought before Pilate, we're told in Matthew chapter 27, verse 12, that when he was accused by the chief priests and by the elders of the Jewish court, Jesus chose to remain silent. And when he was pressed to give a response by Pilate, we're told in verse 14 that Jesus gave no answer, not even to a single charge. So Jesus chose to not answer the charges that were leveled Against him. Now, to be sure, Jesus did speak at certain points in the court proceedings. In fact, when you look at all of the gospel accounts, you'll notice that Jesus 
mostly responded to questions about his identity. So for instance, in the parallel account of of Luke chapter 23, verse 3, when Pilate asked if Jesus was the king of the Jews, Jesus said, you have said so. So Jesus actually said something when a question came about his identity. And yet when false accusations came before Jesus, when they came towards him, Jesus chose to remain silent. And what's the result of this? Well, look at verse 26 of Matthew chapter 27. Then he, referring to Pilate, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. And so, in the midst of the pressure from the crowd, from the crowd that is rioting, Pilate made the decision to release Barabbas, who was the guilty person, and to crucify Jesus, who was innocent. And through it all, Jesus remained silent. Now, when you look at Jesus' posture here, you may wonder to yourself, you know, this seems so counterintuitive. You know, why would Jesus remain silent in the face of accusations? And in particular, these are false accusations against him. You know, why would he allow himself to be a doormat for people to stand on? And in fact, oftentimes, you know, our natural inclination is to react against and, and to defend ourselves against these wrong accusations, that we have this inclination to defend ourselves when we are slandered by people. And oftentimes, we actually react in white-hot rage you know, against our accusers. Now, why is that? You know, why do we react in such a way? Well, a big reason is because we actually care very much deeply about how we are viewed by other people. We care very deeply about how we are viewed by others. There's a desire to vindicate ourselves so that we can maintain a good reputation before people. And so, all of these false accusations that have come against me, that come towards me, all of these things actually threaten my good image. It actually threatens my image as a good person before other people. So what do I need to do to these people? I need to destroy those accusations. I need to destroy all of these false accusations. But we need to recognize something, that our reputation is actually not something that we can actually control. Now, we can have some kind of influence over our reputation and how we are viewed by other people, but at the end of the day, we cannot actually control how people perceive us. And actually, truth be told, this kind of self-defense can actually make the mess much worse. And these situations, I think we are probably better off committing our reputation to God. To, and to commit our reputation to God without retaliating. And in addition, we actually need to be mindful of something. We need to be mindful of our own hearts in the face of these accusations. Now, I'm not saying that there are no instances when we shouldn't, you know, when we should uh, defend our reputation. And I think especially if you're in a position of leadership and all of these accusations and all of these slanders actually damage the ministry or the institution that you're part of, I think in those situations, there's a place for you to actually defend yourself. And yet, when we try, when we seek with all of our might to vindicate ourselves and to win the support of the people who have heard the slanders, I think it might actually reveal something 
about our own hearts, it might actually reveal our fear of man rather than fear of God, that our instincts, our instincts actually show us that we are actually fearing man rather than fearing God himself. But in the case of Jesus, Jesus feared God. Jesus feared God in everything that he did, and he chose to remain silent here because he knew what his mission was. He knew what he had to do, and he knew that keeping his silence would accomplish what he came to do. And this is why Jesus chose to remain silent in the face of false accusations. But in addition, Jesus didn't just do all of this. Jesus remained silent in the face of suffering. Now, I want, to, I want you to look with me at the kinds of suffering that Jesus had to endure all the way to the cross. Look at verse 26 of Matthew chapter 27. It tells us that Jesus was scourged. Now, being scourged is much worse than just receiving a few strokes with a whip. In fact, scourging was actually a very brutal form of flogging. And it's a kind of flogging that actually left a person in a near-death situation, if not actually dead. And this is what Jesus had to endure. Now look at verses 28 to 30 with me. We're told that Jesus was stripped and that he had a scarlet robe put on him. In addition, the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns on his head, and they put a reed in his right hand. And what are these soldiers actually doing? Well, they're mocking him. They're mocking him as the supposed, as the so-called king of the Jews. And what this does is that it actually removes all sense of dignity. It removes all sense of honor from Jesus Christ himself. It relegates him to a place of humiliation and it basically says that he is not worthy of the most basic respect, even as a human being. And this is what Jesus had to endure as our king. And finally, we are told in verse 35 of Matthew 27 that Jesus was crucified. And based on our understanding of the text, it seems that he was crucified for six long hours. Now, what is crucifixion? Well, crucifixion is actually a form of capital punishment. It involves having your arms and your feet nailed to a large wooden cross. And usually, what happens in crucifixion is that the person would actually have no clothes on as well. And so when you look at all of those paintings with Jesus wearing clothes on, that is actually not the case. That is not typically the case in crucifixion. In fact, for crucifixion, a person would have no clothes. Now, I mentioned that in the ancient world, crucifixion was a form of capital punishment. It was punishment for slaves and criminals. In fact, it was such a torturous and such a sadistic form of punishment that the ancient Roman thinker Cicero, he actually called it the most cruel and disgusting penalty. And in addition, what we find in our understanding of the ancient world was that all of these crosses were actually placed on 
places on places that people can easily see. So they were placed on well-traveled highways, they were placed on hilltops, and they were placed on city gates for everyone to see. And why is that? Because crucifixion was meant to be a deterrent punishment. It was meant to be a punishment so that people may know the consequences of being a death row criminal. And so Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, had to be crucified on the cross. And this was the humiliation that he endured as our Savior. Now, none of this was a surprise to Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself predicted earlier that he would suffer this way. In Matthew chapter 20, in verses 18 to 19, Jesus said to his disciples as they made their way to Jerusalem, this is what he said, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. And so Jesus predicted that he will be mocked, that he will be flogged, and this was fulfilled when he was arrested, when he was beaten up, and when he was crucified. And notice as well that Jesus was vilified by the Jews and the Gentiles. And so you have the priests and the scribes who represented the Jews and the Roman soldiers who represented the Gentiles. Now, what's so striking about what Jesus endured is the fact that he suffered all of these things by himself. That Jesus was isolated by the crowd. He was isolated for his suffering. He was excluded by the crowd. Now, friends, if perhaps you may resonate with this. If you were ever the subject of bullying, you know, whether it's physical bullying or in other forms like cyberbullying, then perhaps you may resonate with what Jesus is experiencing here in being isolated from the crowd and being excluded by the crowd. There's a deep sense of being ostracized and feeling like you're nothing, that you're nothing in the eyes of people. And this is what Jesus had to go through. And what did Jesus do in the midst of all of this? Jesus chose to remain silent. Jesus chose to not retaliate, but to remain silent. Now this idea of silence in suffering is actually something that still troubles us even in our modern day. You know, we live in a world that is still mainly speech Centric. And what, we, what I mean is this, that we are still putting a premium on the idea of speaking, on the idea of the voice. So for instance, when we think about the idea of equal rights for everyone, what we mean is that it is about giving a voice to each person. And this is why we have the phrase vox populi, which is the Latin, which is the Latin phrase for voice of the people. And this is how the concept of a democracy is often summarized, which is to ensure that every person has an equal voice with equal consideration. And so this is the world that we live in, a speech-centric world. But what it means as well is this, that those who are silent, these people tend to be 
in the margins. They tend to become invisible in the society. And yet silence can actually say a great deal of things to us. So for instance, think with me. Think about those who are suffering in silence. Think about those who are suffering and not telling anyone about their suffering. And what are they actually telling us in their suffering? Do we hear their pain in their silence? And what about those who are marginalized, those people that we don't usually notice? Do we actually notice their presence in our society? Now, I came across an intriguing article that was published over a month ago. And this article is about the existence of Discord service here in Singapore to provide peer support for people with mental health struggles. Now, if you're not sure what Discord is, it's basically an instant messaging social platform. So just in case you don't know what Discord actually is. And it turns out that there are several of such servers in Singapore and basically you can be a part of any of these server communities as anonymous users. So you can join any of these servers, you can join a community, and you can join in as an anonymous user. And by remaining anonymous, what these servers seek to do is to provide safe online spaces for people to share about their struggles and to be supported by a community. And when some of these users were actually interviewed, they actually confessed that they would rather remain anonymous. Now, on the one hand, when we see an initiative like this, it's actually a positive sign because it tells us that people are opening up about their struggles in the context of a community. But on the other hand, you know, this whole need to remain anonymous tells us that perhaps we still have some ways to go in our conversations on mental health struggles is an indication that there are people, there are probably people in our midst who still find it difficult to speak openly about their struggles. And friends, perhaps you may resonate with what I just shared. Perhaps you may resonate with this struggle, with this struggle of not being able to open up to other people, and perhaps you're in a place of suffering and you just find it so difficult to tell others about your suffering. It can be related to mental health, but it can also be related to your relationships, and it can be related even to the overwhelming pressures of life itself. And it's so painful for this reason. It's painful because you feel isolated. It's painful because you feel abandoned and you feel in the midst of all of this that no one is able to understand you. And friends, let me just say this evening that someone does understand. Let me just say that there is someone who understands and that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus understands this because he himself suffered silently. And he did so willingly as well. And since Jesus understands this, since Jesus understands the struggle that you're going through, then he knows best how to comfort, how to comfort you, that he is best able to comfort you 
in your struggle. Now the Christian author, Dane Ortland, he puts it this way in his book, Deeper. He says this, Your suffering does not define you. His does. You have endured pain involuntarily. He has endured pain voluntarily for you. Your pain is meant to push you to flee to him where he endured what you deserve. And so, friends, Jesus understands. Jesus knows what we are going through in this life. And so, friends, flee to him. Flee to Jesus and find comfort in his presence. Find comfort in his embrace. Bring your sorrows before our Lord and he will listen to all of them. And if you notice that someone is suffering in this way, that someone is being ostracized, and that someone is suffering silently, bring this comfort to them. Bring the comfort of Jesus Christ to them and help them to see that Jesus is ever so willing to embrace them in his arms. And this is what Jesus did. Now finally, there's the ultimate silence, and that is the silence of death. Well, we see that the cross has finally served its purpose as an execution tool, and we're told in verse 50, so it's not printed in the bulletins, but in verse 50 of Matthew chapter 27, after hours hanging on the cross, we're told that Jesus yielded his spirit, that Jesus Christ the king of the Jews has drawn his final breath. Now, why was there a need for Jesus to die on the cross? Why was there a need for him to die? Well, in John chapter 1, verse 29, he tells us this, that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And how did he do that? Well, Jesus came as a sacrificial lamb. Jesus came as a sacrificial lamb to die for the sins of sinners. Jesus came to die for people like us. Now, we read earlier on in our call to worship from Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And all of us, we need to recognize that all of us, we deserve to die because we have sinned, and we have sinned against a holy God. But instead of receiving what we entirely deserve, instead of dying for what we deserve, Jesus came as our substitute, and he died on our behalf, and he came to save us from our sins. Jesus Christ came, and he paid the price that all of us needed to pay, and that was his mission. Now, lest we think that it was easy for Jesus to do this, I want us to look at the struggle that he had to go through as he faced the punishment of death. Now, let's go back to verse 40 in Matthew chapter 27. I want you to see what the people passing by actually said. And this is what they said to him. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Now, if you have followed us in our sermon series on Luke's gospel, you'll notice something similar here. You know, where have we seen the phrase, if you are the son 
of God. Now, where have we actually heard that? Well, we actually see this in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, which is the passage that we looked at last Sunday. And we find in that passage that twice the devil came to Jesus and he appealed to Jesus' identity as the Son of God. He appealed to Jesus' identity in order to tempt him. So in Luke chapter 4, verse 3, the devil said, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. In Luke chapter 4, verse 9, the devil said it again. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. And so what is happening here? In Matthew chapter 27, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, what we find is actually this, that Jesus, in his dying breath, is tempted once again to escape suffering. That what we find here is that, he's, that Jesus is being tempted to avoid death altogether, to avoid it entirely. Now, this was a huge temptation for Jesus, and we need to recognize this, especially in light of his struggle in the night before in Gethsemane. So in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, Jesus prayed to God the Father, and this is what he said, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And I want you to recognize the sorrow and the agony that Jesus faced as he looked forward to the cross. And this is why Jesus, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, this is why he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ had to bear the pain of being separated from his heavenly Father as he was cursed on the cross at Calvary. And what he did was significant because he came and did all of that. He came and died on the cross so that we may no longer be separated from God. And so Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 says this, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus died so that we may have peace with God himself. Now, we may look at that and we may be antagonistic towards him. You know, we may even be angry towards him and even reject him. And yet, we need to recognize that we are precisely the people that Jesus came to die for, that Jesus came to die for sinners who rejected him initially, to, to die for people who would mock at him. And this is the proclamation that his death brought. It's a proclamation of what he came to do as the savior of the world. So actually, what we find here in the crucifixion is something very ironic. It's ironic when you, when you realize that, you know, as Jesus was crucified, as he laid hanging on the cross, you had all of these different groups of people standing before him. You had the Jews that were before him, and then you had the Gentiles who were before Jesus, the king 
of the Jews. And isn't this the picture that we have of that final day? You know, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, we're given a vision of worship in eternity. And we see in Revelation chapter 7 that there's this great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. And all of them were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And so in many ways, what we have here at the cross is an ironic picture of what awaits us when Jesus returns. And the only difference is this, that Jesus will not just be the king of the Jews, but Jesus will be the king of kings. That Jesus will be the king of all people. Now perhaps as you listen to this and you're wondering, okay, that is still far in the future. That is something that has not yet come. But tell me about the now. You know, how does this affect me right now? Tell me, Joel, you know, why am I still suffering at this very moment? Why am I still suffering so much in this present life? You know, doesn't God love me enough to take away all of my pain? Doesn't God love me enough to remove all of my suffering from my life? Well, that's not the case at all. And we need to recognize this, that God's love towards us is not defined by our situation. It's not defined by our circumstances, but rather it's defined by what Jesus had done for us on the cross. And so again, Dane Ortland he puts it this way in his book, Deeper. If Jesus himself was willing to journey down into the suffering of hell, you can bank everything on his love as you journey through your own suffering on your way up to heaven. So far from being unloving towards us, far from it, from having an unloving God, what we find is a God who is love. What we find is a God who has shown us his great love by giving his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, even though we were estranged, even though we were far from him. And in return, we're called to believe in him and in what he did for all of us. And this is the remarkable thing that the cross did for us, that Jesus was accused so that we may be free from all accusations on the final day. So Romans 8.33 says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And so on the day of Christ, we will no longer be accused by other people. Jesus Christ not only was accused for us, but he suffered for us as well. And he died for us so that we may suffer no more in eternity, but have eternal life. And so Revelation 21 verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And when Jesus died on the cross, we are not the ones who are silenced for good. In fact, not even Jesus was silenced for good. Let me say this, that it was actually death that was silenced for good. It was death 
that has lost the power to speak. When Jesus died on the cross, he defeated death once and for all so that we may no longer be silenced by death itself. Jesus Christ, the word of God, spoke through his silence. And friends, this is the good news, that Jesus removed the silence of death so that we may have the voices to sing of his praises. Jesus died and removed the silence of death so that we may have the voices to sing of his praise. And this is the gospel that Jesus proclaimed at the cross. This is the good news that Jesus proclaimed through his silence. And this, my friends, is the power of the cross. And this is the reason why we call Good Friday good. Now, towards the end of the film Silence, we actually have a scene involving Rodriguez, who has apostatized by, by this point, and Kichijiro, who came to him to make a confession. And during the confession, you know, Rodriguez heard a voice saying, you know, I suffered beside you. I was never silent. And basically what we find is this, that the solution that the movie gave us is a God who suffers with us. But friends, what we have at the cross is something that is far better. What we have at the cross is this, that we have the God-man who suffered for us. The very God-man who suffered for us. And it's in Jesus' suffering that we make sense of our suffering. And he understands what we are going through. And yes, Jesus was silenced at the cross. But this was not a mere still silence. Rather, it's a loud silence. It's a silence that proclaimed what he has done for us. And in his silence, Jesus calls out, to all of us saying, come to me. Come and see what I've done for you at the cross. And so friends, as we round out our time together, let us go with this question in mind. How are you responding to the silence of Jesus Christ? Do you actually hear the silence of our Savior and how do you respond to the silence of Jesus Christ? Do you respond in belief? And friends, if you believe in this person, if you believe in Jesus Christ, the silent Savior, then you can rejoice and you can be sure that you are no longer silent because Jesus has given us the voices to sing of his praises and we can look forward in eternity to sing his praises forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we marvel at your love. And Father, we marvel at your great love that was shown to all of us in the giving of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we recognize that we are undeserving 
of your grace. We are so undeserving of the blood that was shed on the cross. And yet because Jesus Christ died for us, we can have this assurance that we are safe. And because Jesus has died for us, we can never stand condemned before you. And we recognize that death no longer has a hold on all of us.